as we continue, this is only part two in a new sermon series uh, looking at the first four chapters of Acts called Foundations. Because it's so important for a new church to make sure that we are planted, that we are standing on the foundation of God's word. What does God tell the early church and how do we glean from them of what do we got to make sure that we have. Today's an exciting morning as we look into God's word together. We're going to look at... uh, Acts 2, verses 1 through 21. Katie and I, we love to hike, uh, especially we love to hike in the mountains of North Carolina or someplace with a little different topology than maybe a central Florida, although this has got its own beauty. Uh, but anywhere we could find a good trail. And let me tell you, we're not too adventurous. So for us to call ourselves hikers, there might be real hikers here that say you guys are far from true hiking because we never want to really take too long of a hike. We never really want to be on a too steep of a trail. We never want to be too far off of the beaten path. Uh, we want to make sure we're all always on a trail that's really well marked and quite frankly well traveled that's how adventurous we are Uh, what's key for us is trail markers keys and maps so those are really important if you go into the woods with me you want to make sure it's well marked because we want to come out safely right but especially it's important to know where you are, what, what kind of maps, uh, what kind of location, trail markers, especially when the trail divides. Have you ever been out in the woods and you, you get to where the trail divides? You want to make sure where you go because you start a completely new course. Well, we are at one of those trails today. Uh, again, when we get to those points, I like to have something that says, hey, by the way, you are here. I want something to show me where I am. I want something that shows me where is the parking lot because where do I start? Where do I got to get to, right? And where am I going? Just give me some peace of mind. So I want to be able to see the big picture all at one glance. This morning, we come to a new trail in God's story, a new course And it's a good time for us to pull out the map of God's word and to find out, hey, again, where are we in God's story? And where have we been? And where are we going? So we're going to spend just a few minutes this morning looking at the big picture of the Bible. This is so important for us to know the context of God's story, to understand the setting. We're going to specifically look at a thing called Pentecost this morning. we got to know what's the context, what's the, st- uh, the setting, what's the plot. We need to have that sign that you see at the mall sometimes, you are here. Uh, we want to know we are here in the story. Let's talk about God's word, this amazing story. The big story of the Bible or the meta narrative, the overarching story of the Bible, it's God's story. It begins with him. In the beginning, God. It's all about his story. There are many different sub-stories in the Bible, but there's one overarching story of the Bible. There's really only one hero of the Bible, and his name is Jesus. So what do we know out of this big overarching story? That God creates everything out of nothing. He speaks, and it jumps into existence. That God created us male and female. He knew the difference. He created both, and they both were in his image. And he created us to be known and loved by him, and to know and love him. And he created us to fill the whole earth with his glory. That our fruitful relationship with him... 
That's what happens. The earth is filled with his glory. When we love him above all else and we love our neighbors as ourselves. God's story is broken into two big sections or two testaments. You've heard that. The Old and the New Testament. There are actually 66 books in this story. And it can be divided. Here's what I want you to really hear. God's whole story. Sometimes it's overwhelming. I mean, there's history. There's prophet. Um, you know, there's, there's revelation. How do we understand it all? Four big chapters or four big subheadings that can help us understand God's word. There's a creation. Starts early in the story. That God creates all things out of nothing. That's Genesis 1 and 2. God's story will tell us of a fall. The fall of mankind. How did sin and brokenness and evil and everything that's undone happen? Well, it tells us in his story through the fall of man. And that's recorded in Genesis chapter 3. But the story of the Bible is a story of redemption. It's a story of grace. And that first promise of good news of God's going to rescue is right at the fall in Genesis 3.15. And from Genesis 3 all the way through uh, Revelation is the story of how God rescues. And in the midst of that redemption, there's two things we got to see. And it says this in Galatians 4, it says, in the fullness of time. I love that imagery. When it's, it really sounds like a gestation period. When time was pregnant, when the perfect time for God to send his son, that long-awaited Messiah to come, in the fullness of time, God sends forth his son to come and to rescue us. But now we find that God not only sends his son to live and die and be resurrected for us, he also spends, sends his spirit. And when he sends his spirit, we're going to look at today at Pentecost, it changes the time to the last days. God has sent his spirit. We are here. Okay? Creation has happened. The fall has happened. Redemption has happened in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit has come. And so if there's a place in the Bible that wants to say you are here, we're there at Acts chapter 2. But there's more to come. The consummation, the conclusion, what we are told in Scripture is a new heaven, a new earth, where there's no more tears, where there's no more sorrow, where there's no more death, there's no more divorce, there's no more cancer, there's no more prodigals, there's no more nights crying yourself to sleep. There's still more good stuff to come. That's where we find ourselves. Well, this morning, let's look at the specific context. This morning's context is really, really important for us. It's something called Pentecost. And Pentecost is the promised fulfillment of the Father in Jesus, and that Joel, the prophet Joel said would come, that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, that God said on his people he would pour out his Holy Spirit. Well, what is Pentecost? I mean, that, that Pentecost has become so obscure to us Pentecostalism has also probably obscured the view of what it really means. But we have to spend a minute, because this context is amazing. It blows our mind if we look and dig deeply. Pentecost. Pentecost comes from the word penta. What, what, what number do you think of with penta? Pentagon, five. Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. This is really important. Now stick with me. Don't lose me. This is, this is good stuff. 50 days after the Passover. Guess what happened 50 days ago? It was the Jewish celebration of Passover. But it was more than that. Jesus was sacrificed that weekend, the Passover. Because Jesus, as Paul will tell us, is the true Passover lamb. All that pointed to him. 
So 50 days after the Passover was Pentecost. And we know that Acts has taught us, what has Jesus been doing in these 50 days? Well, for 40 days, he's been teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. For three days, he was in the grave before that, right? So now 50 days later, this is Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon them. The promise that Jesus said is coming. Up in the upper room, when Jesus was with his, with his disciples in John 14, 15, and 16, he says, guys, listen, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to be ascending up to heaven after I pay for your sins on the cross. But I'm going to have life. I'm going to give you a gift. The Father's going to give you a gift of the Holy Spirit. But Pentecost is more than just the 50 days after the Passover. Pentecost was also the celebration in the Jewish tradition of the first fruits or the first sheath that has come in of the harvest. And so it's basically saying that, listen, uh, a harvest comes, they see that first grain of corn or that first little bit of wheat, and they say, God's blessing. Let's bring it into the temple. Let's celebrate because why a harvest is coming. What does this mean to you and me? In Acts 2, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And the harvest is coming. And we're part of it. We're part of that reality. So it's that first fruits. We see the first fruits. But Pentecost has one more thing we can't miss. And the very first celebration of Pentecost, the very first one, remember the Passover in Egypt that they used that lamb and the blood on the doorstep that death would pass over and that God's people would leave Egypt and they would be out of there in slavery and they'd be heading to the promised land. Guess what happened 50 days afterwards for the very first Pentecost? It was Moses on Mount Sinai in the giving of the law. It's God coming from heaven and giving the law how people should live. And now after the resurrection, watch this, it's God coming from heaven, empowering the people on how to live and the fulfillment of the law. So the context of this Passover is amazing. Now something else we need to look at in this text is this. What is normative about this story? Now, Bible teachers, this is very important to us because oftentimes we read the Bible and we read what happens back then. We say, how come it doesn't happen to us? How come right now the Holy Spirit's not going to fall and there's going to be rushing wind in this place so much it's going to scare us to death? How come there's not the divided tongues of fire resting upon us? Listen, this is a very specific moment in redemptive history that will not be repeated. This is a time that God has given forth, poured forth his spirit. We can't look and say, well, it's going to be normal for the apostles. It should be normal for us. It's not. But the effects of this will affect all of us until the time comes. Does that make sense? We have to oftentimes read the scriptures and say, okay, should I expect, is this normal? Or is this something supernatural that God's telling us at a point in time? All right, there's a lot of teaching in there, but let's look to God's word. Uh, it's an incredible uh, part of this story. Remember, you want to know, we are here. This is the introduction to the last times. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, I said, stop, they're all together in one place. By the way, this is the entire church was there. This was everybody who believed in Jesus. Anybody know the number? Somebody yell it out. Anybody know? Robbie, biblical scholar, 120 of them. That's it. Think of what's happened to the church. There's 120 of them. The entire church in one building. I mean, the church, all there. 
And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Remember, this gospel is going to go out to all nations. And at this sound, this multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Hit pause. This is not some angelic tongues of a babbling. This was a unique tongue where they were hearing their own language being spoken. And uh, through other ones. So this was a common language that each was hearing. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phygeria, and Pamphylia. Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and the proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked them, saying, they're filled with new wine. They're drunk. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, saying, Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, that's 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, here we are, the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, on your sons and on your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, what an amazing story. I mean, it's so incredible that those who were there the first day, they were so bewildered that some thought, these guys are drunk. What in the world is happening? But God, you were doing amazing things. You were fulfilling your promise that you would pour upon your people the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father God, for your glory, pour upon your servant this morning and this congregation your spirit. God, come and join us in the way. Give us ears to hear your voice. You're the one we need to hear from. Give us minds to understand your word, that your word leads us to life and life abundantly. Give us hearts to embrace your truth. And God, give us feet, empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name. The things that I say that are wrong or or just merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, 
and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things, that power of God, to shape us? We just think of the wind and what the power of the wind can shape a landscape, the the power of fire. That's what you're telling us, this untamable power of God that changes everything. Oh God, would you come and would you change us? And would you give us hope? We pray in the matchless name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Amen. There's three things we're going to look at this morning as we unpack this. We're going to see the promise that reverses the curse. That there's such good news that what's happening is the curse is being reversed. The promise that changes the time. And the promise that does the extraordinary through the ordinary. Let me ask you this question as we jump in. What event in your life changed everything? We all have them. What event in your life changed everything? An event that happened, you say, I will never be the same. A threshold has been crossed. You can never go back to your same life as you knew it. For some of you, it might be marriage when you said, I do. For some, it might be becoming a parent and you held in your hands your son or your daughter. For some of you, it may have been a diagnosis that you or a loved one has cancer. For some of you, it might be the death of a loved one. What has changed your life forever? We see Pentecost is a special delivery of the Holy Spirit, an event that would change the world forever. Everything would be different now that the promise of the Father was delivered. Life as we knew it um, would, would change. And we would be empowered, longing for more. How many of you all are young enough to play Fortnite? Yeah! See, I'm relating to you guys. I got one. I know there's a few others that haven't played. What happened to Fortnite recently? It completely went down, didn't it? I mean, it completely shut down. It was just like, it uh, went away. And you guys, you guys don't know what I'm talking about now. I'm sorry I'm talking to young people right now. It's, a, uh, it's an amazing game that uh, millions of people worldwide would play. It's a free game you could download. Uh, and you go and there's a map, right? There's a map of where you're going to go and you and your friends. And it, the whole thing went blank. And everybody's like, is it gone? And eventually they came back with a brand new map, a brand new landscape. And so basically once the Holy Spirit has come, it's a brand new way of doing things, a brand new way of seeing things. All right, the promise that, the, uh, that, that reverses the curse. We can't miss this. As soon as the fall happens, the consequences is everything was cursed. Everything was broken. Everything was separated from God. And nothing could be mended. And Jesus came as God's own son to come and, watch this, to come and be a curse for us. Paul will say in Galatians 3 that curse is anyone who hangs on a tree. Why in the world would Jesus come to be a curse? He came to come to be a curse to reverse the curse so that you and I can experience the blessings of God. And that is what has happened. Acts chapter 3 is going to tell us in verse 21 that Jesus came to make all things new. He's come to, to turn the tides, to take away the hopelessness and to bring us hope. And now, and the reality that, that the blessings of God are ours in Christ Jesus because he lived the life that we failed to live. The blessings are ours now in Christ Jesus because he died the death we deserve to die. The blessings are now in Christ Jesus because he resurrected from the dead and now life reigns and death has been defeated. And everything's starting to turn. 
And that we are having hope. And what does he give? He gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes as the power of God to make sure that all things are going to be reversed. That that curse is going to be wiped away. If you guys are C.S. Lewis fans, the Chronicles of Narnia is amazing. And the Chronicles of Narnia, it describes Narnia as an interesting place. It's always winter and never Christmas. Can you imagine always winter and never Christmas? I was born in Buffalo. Thank God I got out, right? And so, but my poor brother, he's still up there. And he feels like you live in Buffalo. It's always gray. It's always cold. It's always, give us sunshine. Give us something different. Well, Narnia, it was always frozen, always cold, never hope of Christmas. But that central figure of Christ, Aslan, was on the move. And it was Aslan was on the move. Guess what? Everything would begin to thaw. Here's a quote. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Christ our King, the true Aslan, has come to thaw out everything that is broken. Do you know what Pentecost is? Now here's a really cool thing. What Pentecost is, is this reversal of the curse. It's the reverse of Babel. This is the absolute reverse of what happened in Genesis chapter 11 at Babel. If you remember the early part of God's story, he's created the people to multiply and to fill the earth with his glory, to go and create the city of God and all of the earth. And what do they do? In, in chapter 10, you have the table of nations. All the nations are there. They're going to go to a place called Babel and they say, hey, you know what? God wants to fill the earth with his glory, but this looks like a pretty cool place. Why don't we stop trying to build a city of God? Why don't we build a city for our own self? Why don't we build, let's build a place for our own name. Let's forget God coming to us. Let's build a tower to him. Let's tell God how we're going to interact with him. Let's do it our own way. Let's build a city for our own name. We could do this on our own. Who needs God? Why are we filling the earth with his glory? Let's stop right here and fill it with our own. God comes down and he, he's going to say, I'm going to scramble your plans. Nope. Not going to accept it. And how does God do it? He confuses their language. All of a sudden, they all start babbling. That's where we get it from. They couldn't understand each other. And they were spread back out to go do God's plan again. So here you have, watch this. This is amazing. At Pentecost is this reversal of Babel. Instead of confusing, he unites Instead of dividing languages, he makes them all hear them all the same. And we see that the reverse is being turned. J.R. Tolkien, yeah, it's a Lewis and Tolkien morning. Uh, in The Return of the King, uh, a great, great little series, again, with such Christian undertones. A bewildered Sam will say, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. I thought I was dead myself. And here's a great quote. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Did you hear that? Is everything sad going to come untrue? Because of the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and the curse being reversed. Listen to this. Everything sad is going to come untrue. Everything sad is going to come untrue. Everything that is broken will be mended. Do you believe it? Everything that is lost, it's going to be found. Everything that is unjust is going to be unwound. Everything that isn't right, one day will be made right in Christ Jesus. Please, beloved, find hope in that. 
I love what Tim Keller said. He took that quote and he did what Tim Keller could do. He made it even better. In his book, The Reason for God, he says this, everything sad is going to come untrue and it will somehow be greater for once having been broken and lost. What are you struggling with? I mean, I, I, well, what's the pain that you can't get over year after year after year? Here's the hope. In Christ Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, everything sad is going to come untrue. When I was young, I admired my, I had a cool uncle. I hope you had a cool uncle and a cool aunt. I, I had one, his Uncle Brian. Really cool. Wanted to be like him, everything like him. And he had a cool watch. It was a Seiko watch. I remember this Seiko watch. And it wasn't a Rolex. He probably has one of those too. But it was a, I remember as a young boy seeing his Seiko watch. I remember admiring it so much. And I'll never forget being a young boy. You know what he did? He said, Jeffrey, I'm going to give you a watch someday. I promise you that I'm going to give you a watch just like mine. I'm like, oh my goodness. I can have a watch like my uncle. I can have one just like his. That would be fantastic. Oh, I long for, I'm telling you, it felt like an eternity. Is he ever going to do it? I mean, I was like um, that story, a Christmas story when he was waiting for something to be delivered in the mail and every day you go check the mailbox. Did it come? Did it come? Did it come? And it seemed like months and years went by. And Come on, uncle. Are you going to come through? I mean, you're the cool uncle. Is the watch going to come? And guess what? One day I got the watch. It's like, man, my uncle keeps his promises. I had to wait a long time, but now that I know he keeps his promise, I can really trust him. You see, here's what happened. God promised to send his son. Did he send him? He did. God promised to send a Passover lamb to take care of our sins. Did it happen? It did. God promised to defeat all of his and our enemies, even death. Did it happen? It did. God promised to send his Holy Spirit upon us to empower us to be his people. Did it happen? It did. Does God keep his promises? He does. And so here's the reality. Whatever God has promised to us, we can have full hope. We we're still waiting for someone to be fulfilled, but they're coming. Everything that's sad is going to come untrue. And everything that was promised is going to become real. Why? Because the curse has been reversed. Good news, is it not? Second thing is this, is that this is a promise that changes time. I mean, I mean, it's amazing. Hey, by the way, does anybody know when Daylight Savings is coming up? Anybody know? I mean, thank God we get to fall back. Don't you want to fall back every weekend? I do. Um, when's it coming? Anybody know? November 3rd, a couple weeks. Thank you very much, Taylor. Two weeks. So something's going to happen and everybody's going to change time. Do you know what changed time in the Bible? I'm not talking about an hour. It changed the time period. It moved us to the last day and it was the delivering of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. I read it for you. I will not read Joel 2 this morning, but it's almost verbatimly listed there in Acts chapter 2 that says, In the last day God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. What Pentecost. We are now in the last days. I love this. Pentecost is the first day of the last days. That's it. It's the first day of the last day. It is the beginning of the end. A lot of people want to spend a lot of time trying to figure out times in the Bible. And I'm telling you, good luck. Jesus himself says it's not for you to know. But this is what I could guarantee you. This is what I could tell you why, because God tells you. We are in the last days. Do you know what else needs to be done before Jesus returns? Nothing. He could come now. He could come now. 
He could come tomorrow. I love what Spurgeon, my favorite preacher, would say. Perhaps today he's going to come. Perhaps. Live your life with urgency. What is he saying? We are in last days. Urgency. Satan wants to get your life thinking about you and, and, and not the reality. This is it. These are the last days. Live your days with urgency. Um, live your days with not only urgency, but expectancy. My family is really absolutely miffed and, and kind of can't believe it's true. I can't believe I'm mentioning this in public. I've started to listen to, Christ, uh, to country music. My name's Jeff and I like country music. <laughs> Pray for me. But live your life, Tim McGraw says, like you're dying. Really, we got to live our lives like we're forever living. But we're living in the end days. Live your life with expectancy. Live your life with urgency. And then the last thing is this. The promise that not only is going to change the time, we're in the last days, the promise it's going to reverse the curse, but the promise that does the extraordinary through the ordinary. Pentecost is the beginning of the extraordinary things being done through the ordinary people. You know this morning, I'm reading through the book of Daniel. Have you read through Daniel? Daniel starts off great and it gets really confusing quick. Um, but Daniel's amazing. And I was reading today, it says, Daniel was filled with the Holy Spirit. When you read the Old Testament, great people, kings, prophets, they had this filling of the Holy Spirit. God did great things through great people, but he also did them through ordinary people. And here in these end times, guess what? The Holy Spirit is poured on who? Who's it say? All flesh. Our sons, our daughters, our young people, male, female. I mean, it's not just the prophets. It's not just the priests. It's not just the kings. It's not just the important. The Holy Spirit is poured out on Eve, and it says the servants. The Holy Spirit is poured out on you and me, the ordinary. Why? If you and I realize that God gets the most glory, that pouring into us the Holy Spirit, the ordinary, who just love Jesus, God wants to do the extraordinary through us. Now is our time. This is our place. God wants to use you. And the reason he gives us his Holy Spirit is to do amazing things. And here's what the amazing things he wants you to do. Walk by faith. Love him and trust him. Trust the promises. Trust the fact that those things that you're praying about that just won't mend, that won't somehow heal, that's still so broken, he's going to make it right. He's going to make it right. The promise that has been delivered, the curse has been reversed, the promise has been delivered, the time has changed, the promise has been delivered, God is going to do the extraordinary through the ordinary, that's you and me.